0: Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister... looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the, in the right, right place. place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play like it four. From the pocket. Launching downfield! Underthrown and intercepted! Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines! All the way! And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to.
1: All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard along with Jonathan Williams. Appreciate you guys' patience there for a second. I had uh, Jonathan had a little bit of a Wi-Fi issue right like a minute before the show came or was about to go live. His, his internet decided to drop on us. So we got it straightened out. We are ready to go. Um, a lot to cover. We feel like we're late in the news cycle, so we appreciate anyone that still wants to sit back and listen to us sit here and talk up about uh, some some of the Tennessee game, which, if you're a Georgia fan, you should still be very happy about that win, even though it's already Thursday and we're preparing for the next game this Saturday. Uh, but with that, we will also be talking a little bit of Mississippi State football as well. And jo- uh, Jonathan has some stuff for you about Georgia being able to make some history coming up. So. Without further ado, we're gonna go ahead and jump into it. Let's start with Tennessee. Jonathan, how how do you feel now that we've had some time to process the game and, and what'd you take away from that game on Saturday?
2: Look, I was knee deep in Sanford Stadium on Saturday. I was in the student section. I was a part of that atmosphere. It was absolutely insane. You gotta get there early. You gotta get there two and a half hours at the gate. You gotta stand in line and a swarm of people. And just and then storm into the end zone and wait another two hours before the game actually kicks off. So there was so much build up to the game as it comes to like a fan atmosphere. And UG the dog Nation was elite, man. That, I mean, you were there as well, Stoddard. You were inside Sanford Stadium for that. And when I like, I t- I've been telling people this. Like, I was there for the Notre Dame game as well, and Notre Dame's atmosphere was fun. It was fun because they were debuting the new lights. You had. You finally got to light a, light it up during the lights in the fourth quarter, all that stuff. It was fun. Tennessee was fun, but in a t- like 10 times because of like there it's Tennessee, man. Like there's hatred for one another. This is it's not only like the AP poll number one versus the college football playoff number one. This is Tennessee and Georgia, the two number one teams in the nation. And it is a fight for a division title, essentially. And Dog Nation was ready, man. I mean, every single defensive possession of that football down it was just absolutely bonkers the crowd was going nuts it was insane and so really my main takeaway was is that not only did the fans themselves show up but georgia up, and i don't care what the score says i don't care that it was within 14 points whatever georgia dominated that game in every single facet that it possibly could have been and it could have got a lot worse too if the rain hadn't started pouring the tennessee fans have their own hoopla. About oh well if the, if the rain had not nah, fam, did you see the score before it started raining? Georgia was pouring it on, and they wouldn't have stopped in the second half either. Georgia Georgia had their number, man. It was so that's what I have to say. Is Georgia dominated that game.
1: Absolutely dominated that game. And you're right about the atmosphere. I was at the Notre Dame game as well, and I was at the Tennessee game on Saturday. You had a little bit uh, more comfortable seats than I did since you were kind of under the on of the overhang, and you didn't get drenched in the rain like I did in the third quarter. Yeah. Um, but, I, man. <laughs> by the time that rain finally stopped, my I was just – head to toe just soaked. I made a mistake like right after it started raining for the first few minutes and like I sat back down at like a TV timeout and all of a sudden I just sat straight into a puddle of water and I was like that was not the move. That was not what I should have done. But no, even with the rain, the atmosphere still like was electric. Like everybody was still so into it. You would think that the rain would slow down the crowd a little bit, but it didn't. Every single time Tennessee had the ball, like you said, t- Georgia fans were so loud that you could barely he- hear yourself think. It was the loudest game that I've ever heard at Sanford Stadium, and it was actually the loudest game ever recorded. The it decibel is. level got up to what the, I think on Twitter the final results. Somebody said was one hundred thirty seven is what it got up to. Prior to that, it was like a hundred. Some people are saying like one hundred
2: thirty seven.
1: Yeah. I personally I mean, saw, it like I saw it on the big board 137 134 132 like those are that I'm hearing. Yeah, I saw 132 on the big board myself. It yeah. could have been something other than that cuz I didn't see it. They didn't keep it on there all the time and I wasn't also staring at it all the time. So, um, but it got it got really loud. Uh, prior to that, I think the loudest was about 110, 112, somewhere in that range. So it was extremely loud and it was it was the environment was feeding those players you could see them on the on the sideline loving it kirby was loving it and like you said i I think it's funny that they're sitting here saying that it wasn't a blowout like tennessee fans are trying to say it wasn't a blowout or that they didn't get dominated as if they didn't lose to a a georgia football team by 14 points 14 points is a commanding win in college football if especially when you can tell that there is it, there wasn't like a last minute score by Georgia to, to put it to that point where you're like, all right, it got a little bit. It made it look deceiving the other way. No, it was actually the opposite. Georgia let them score late in the fourth quarter with about four and a half minutes left to even get it to, to 14 instead of being a 21 point game. And that's where it was really setting. And that rain, like you said, Kirby and them started to slow down and go, hey, you know what? We don't need to we don't need to keep firing on all cylinders at the same rate that we were. Let's take it slower in the third quarter when it started to rain and ran the ball effectively and milked that clock to get his team on to the next week without risking injuries, turnovers, and all kinds of extra things that could go on. And when it was raining as hard as it was, that was by far the best call. Even I know it wasn't flashy. Georgia could have easily scored forty points on them, but it is what it is. We got the win and it was pretty commanding in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and I'll just go ahead and say, guys, there might be a bit of de- a delay between like when I talks, um I can kind of tell it just from my end already. So so just a heads up to you guys. I'm sorry that we have to do this remotely and it's kind of like that, but this is just a situation that we're in right now. We're making the best of it. So we're just going to keep rocking like it's norm- normal business, but might have to change things up a little bit as the conversation flows. But yeah, and it was kind of weird because I think most people – um. Kind of expected Georgia to just do what they typically do. You know, they they give you a at the beginning. You know, they just kind of slowly punch you, punch you, punch you, and that's when they knock you out. And then it's game over. You know, they do the Kirby death march in the first quarter, the fourth quarter. They go on a nine minute drive to end the game, and then they end up winning by like twenty one points or whatever else. Not. Nah this game they came out and it was bah, 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 just right in your face Knockout in the first half it was game over when they got to 21 to 3 i think is what it was at one point Yep. that was game it was that was game. game right there because like last week i said if georgia is going to win this game they're going to have to make tennessee play their brand of football and at that point georgia was able to play their brand of football regardless of when the rain came in or not what it, how did georgia respond i mean they ate an entire quarter pretty much. It may have led to just three points, but they ate an entire quarter. But even Tennessee was doing that to themselves. Tennessee had to change their offensive game plan as well. Tennessee is a team that wants to get on the ball down. That was not them. I made a tweet um, during the game, and it was like, guys, that Tennessee team just went 37 yards down the field, and it took them six minutes, and they got a field goal. Like, that's not Tennessee football. That is not the game that they want to play. So Georgia was not only able to force Tennessee to change their game plan because Georgia's offense was firing on all cylinders. And that's what won them the game. I'm telling you, was that, first, not, that first half right there, and then Georgia being able to chew nine minutes off the clock in the third quarter, game over. That simple.
1: Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because to Brooks actually tweeted this um after the game as well and he said georgia's first three scoring drives against tennessee took a grand total of 12 plays once up three scores their next two scoring drives were a total of 27 plays and took 13 minutes of game clock the game was over right then and that nine minute drive that you're talking about was in the third quarter that was the first possession of the third quarter they basically put us in the fourth quarter as soon as the second half started that's what kirby did he said all right you know we're going to run with this. We're we're going to take this whole game. We're not going to give you enough time to even think about coming back. Being down twenty one points right now. That's what he did. And while, And like uh, somebody commented to under the UGA Spike Squad commented to under and said, doing this while forcing five minute uh, a five minute drive punt a turnover, five minute drive punt a turnover, six minute drive turnover on downs. So making them milk the clock and then turn the ball over at the same time. It was, and not scoring at the same, like their, their offense could not figure it out. And it was a beautiful thing to watch Kirby smart go, Hey, I believe our defense is holding this team right where we want them. So I'm not going to give them an opportunity to take the ball away from us or, or create some extra offense for themselves with their defense by interception or fumble. We saw the fumble, the balls were dropping everywhere because of the rain, you know, Edwards fumbled on that one, uh, run and, um that Tennessee fumbled right beforehand. We got it. Then we go to the two plays later, we fumbled, they get the ball back kind of thing. Like it was just, that is right after it started raining. And I think that was right there in his head where Kirby was like, all right, we're done with that. We're not, we're not doing any of that anymore. You know, we got to protect this ball. I know it was a run play where he fumbled, but that showed him how wet it was out there and how important it was for ball security at that point. So I think that was a huge decision on Kirby's part that I loved.
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I made several comments this season where you could, like, there were multiple games. Auburn was one of them, where Georgia has adapted offensively. You know, they come out of the gates, they pass the ball, they're trying to get the ball to their playmakers, they're chunking it all over the field. And then when they're starting to rip off five four-yard carries consistently, that's when they're like, all right, we're done, bro. Like, we're we're not chunking the ball around. If this is what they're going to let us do, if they're going to let us pick up this many yards consistently, like, that we're going to be handing the ball off we'll chew clock and we'll call it a night and Georgia has the flexibility on offense to do that to where they know now they know for sure now that if they need their passing game to hit a few explosives or they need to rely on Stetson's arm to get put some points on the board they know that they can do that now and they've already proven that they can put a, put their run game in rely on them and say hey go down the field for 12 carries get us in the field goal range or whatever and we'll chew clock that's all we like if, Georgia has the flexibility to that they can do whatever they want. They're, they are far and away the most balanced team in college football, man. You know, every single like I always do a little scouting report for each opponent that Georgia goes up against, and I just kind of look at the stats. You know, where are teams ranking in, in regards to like rushing offense, passing offense, total offense? What like especially on the defensive side as well. And, Nobody is as balanced or not as balanced, but nobody is as can be as flexible as Georgia. It's like you look at the numbers, like especially for Mississippi State. Mississippi State's throwing the ball 50 times a game. That's ridiculous. Worst teams in the nation for rushing because they throw the ball so much. Nobody has this ability like Georgia does. You know, Tennessee did before coming against Georgia, but I mean we talked about it on this show. Georgia excels at stopping the run. And when Georgia shut down Tennessee's run and they had to lean on Hendon Hooker, who was getting pressure in his face all game long got sacked six times but that's it that's a plan for disaster and that's when you get your butt whooped what happened to tennessee man their game plan fell apart georgia executed better georgia ultimately had and yeah that was
1: the result that that's what the scoreboard showed so here's the thing too you know before the game actually last wednesday when you and i said <clears throat> excuse me you when you and i sat down prior to the show and I was sitting there talking about it And one thing that I said and you kind of laughed at me when I said it too but it was I was like man I just George is not getting sacks on the quarterback right now and I understand that the pressures are the important thing but I was like I want to see us get after Hooker that way this week I, I really do because if he had time and even if it wasn't in the form of a sack it needed to be pressures because you couldn't give Hooker a lot of time because he that's when they would he they would absolutely destroy you because their guys are fast. They are going to outrun you down the field sometimes and you can't let him just eat you alive. So this is a stat that I found on Twitter. Also it said entering Saturday, Georgia was dead last in sec and sacks per game at 1.25, but led the league in pressure rate at 35.91%. And that's from the sec stat cast. Uh, but by a significant margin, um, that's how they were up by a significant margin with that. So They just needed a team that was like really wanting to just unload and throw the ball, which leads me into the conversation too, which next week, which we don't have to jump all the way over yet. But Mississippi State is a team that wants to throw the ball. Will Rogers leads the SEC in passing yards for a reason. It's another game that Georgia could get out there and absolutely get pressure on Will Rogers and and make that game get ugly in the same way that we saw last week.
2: Yeah, and I like, man. You know, usually I'm throwing the stats out, and you're the you're the guy throwing the stats around this episode, and I'm here for it, man.
1: I got but you. There's
2: one possession of mine. Like, if if I were to, if someone had not had missed Georgia versus Tennessee, they did not watch the game, and I had to show them one possession that showed them what the entire game was like. I would have showed them the possession where it was kind of, like I think it may have been the fourth quarter. Tennessee was kind of knocking on the door. They were in the red zone. Georgia goes, sack, false start, sack, false start, sack. Five happened to Tennessee. Absolutely unfolded, just a complete disaster of possession, and got demolished. And now I know that fourth down sack ended up being a face mask. Tennessee got the first down, What? Oh, but so still, stupid. That possession alone told you how that entire – Georgia was in their face the entire game and didn't do anything When they needed to pass the ball. They had Hendon hooker had a dude in his face within seconds. I mean, one or two seconds, you couldn't hold the ball any longer than that.
1: No. And the funny thing was if with that, right? Like that, where they ended up getting the face mask penalty to get the first down. It was, by the way, it was fourth and 28 on that play and they got the sack, but the sack was also with the face mask on there. The, the funny thing about that is after that first down, they still turned the ball over on downs. They didn't score. Because it was fourth quarter, they couldn't just kick a field goal. They were going to go for points. They turned the ball over on downs even after that. That's insane. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. So I, I'm trying to remember this correctly off the top of my head because it I was a few days ago that I actually looked at it. The first score that they had, we fumbled on the first drive, right? They got three points off of that fumble. The next yep. one that they scored on was um, when we got a bunch of penalties and they moved the ball like like big personal fouls and stuff like that. They they started moving the ball based on penalties, basically on the next one, and then they scored a field goal on that one. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember what exactly led to them getting the touchdown. I think it was um, I'm trying to remember what like what was the big yeah, thing Jalen Hyatt but wide open
2: over the middle, and he was and then he got down to the end zone. And then they just punched yeah, him. Yeah, but the right there was blade.
1: something there was something that like I thought helped them on that that drive in my head when I was looking at it, but I can't remember exactly. So I won't, I won't hold it up too long, but, but essentially like they, I think that was it. That was the only, the touchdown was their only good drive of it. The other two scoring drives were basically penalties or turnover that gave them the spot to do it. The only good drive they had was one good pass over the middle to Hyatt. And then they, you know, were able to push it in with the rushing touchdown. I think that's what it was. And so you really held that team to just nothing. Literally, they couldn't do anything without some help. But like you pointed out, Georgia's fan base and us in the stands, we were all so loud that like the penalties on the other side, they had eight pre-snap penalties. Eight of those. I think one of those was a uh, formation, illegal formation. So I think the other seven were false starts. So that's that's insane. Mm-hmm. That was huge. There was one that was a third and two. Remember, early in the game, it was third and two. right? And they were on the side by the band in the student section over there. False start on one play. They go back to the line of scrimmage, and so it's third and seven. False start again, and it's now third and twelve. That is like it instantly went from a third and two to a third and twelve because of the fans and the band and the student section, and that was like that's game changer right there. Third and two. <laughs> Jonathan was doing his part. He was on that side of the field during that part of the game too. So I'm proud of you there, Jonathan. Oh man,
2: uh, yeah. I was gonna call that scoring play. I was gonna. Be like, I'm gonna be honest, daughter. I was seeing. St- in the fourth quarter yeah there was no <laughs> oxygen left in my head because it was just being it was it was it wild, was man. pedal to the metal and sure especially when they got down in that end zone but even with the penalties I, I just have a message for tennessee fans because this is what really this is what really kind of bothered me about what they were saying after the game is I'll put it on a neutral site field and a different game. You know, after they trashed Sanford, after they said that Sanford stadium wasn't elite, after they said that Sanford stadium could be loud, then they want to say that, Oh, the fans had an impact on the game. So, you know, put it on a neutral site and it doesn't matter. Boys and girls, if you are, I news for you, you are a penalized football team. You are undisciplined. Penalties are what your team is about. You were averaging nine at home at home. You were averaging nine penalties per game. You were 127th in the nation and penalties called for you. The only SEC team that's worse than you is Bama, and on that and, that's, and the, even on the road, you were averaging like close to 10 penalties. So it is who you are. Now the pre snap, you may not have as many pre snap penalties as you would at a neutral site, but man, you're a an, Tennessee is an undisciplined football team. That is what you are at this point in the season. If you're averaging nine penalties per game. That's that's who you are. That is who your team is, and that's kind of something you just got to live with at this point. Them, yeah. So yeah, you may not get as many fault. Yeah, you may not get as many false calls against you if it's played sight field or whatever. But man, those penalties are going to be coming anyways. That's just who you are.
1: They were, and I, I thought it was funny that they tried to say, like, the refs were not helping them or something like that, too. And I was like, I mean, a false start's a false start. That's, like, most of their penalties were basically false starts or that illegal uh, formation they had and stuff like that. And I'm like, what? You, it wasn't like they just, like, started calling phantom holding calls or something like that on you guys. Like, it was like, and they missed some holding calls. There was some that I was yelling about. I'm watching guys get pulled down like that and stuff like that. And I'm going, like, they, they're missing those. They didn't call targeting on that one where they hit uh, – uh, Stetson going into the end zone right in the side of the helmet. As first they called him out of bounds on that first touchdown, and then they reviewed it and didn't call targeting when he definitely hit him right here in the side of his helmet. So like it wouldn't have mattered, I guess, other than the player would have been ejected. We scored anyways. It wouldn't have like extended our drive or anything like that. But point being, the refs weren't just like on Georgia's side in that game. They definitely were missing stuff on both sides. That way, there was a pass interference that would should have been called over on the uh, end zone, the the touchdown, it would have been a touchdown pass to Darnell Washington. And he like kind of fell forward and, and the ball kind of hit him in the chest. But the defender was all over his back when the ball was about two yards away from him. Still, they didn't call that. It was a drop, no touchdown, move on. But the fans want to sit here and talk like the, the refs screwed them over and it makes no sense. And the safety. Yes. As no, as it as definitely doesn't said. make any sense. Look uh, yeah oh
2: yeah safety without a doubt should have been a safety without a doubt that was a, was a safety all day long now again we we were in the stadium I didn't get to see what you got and what they showed us in the jumbotron on the stadium I have no idea how that wasn't called a safety and like I would have understood it if they 100%. had said like oh like we're gonna call it an incomplete pass and it's gonna be I was waiting for court. that okay yeah. like if you want to call it that that's fine but no they didn't say that they said that the field, the on-the-field call stands saying that somehow this big chunky Joker, that's three hundred pounds or whatever, is supposed to evade three dudes tackling in the end zone, keep his knee off the ground, and extend the ball over the plane. You're telling me that's what happened with that? Man? Nah, there is no way that was a Not safety. Definitely missed call. But hey, ball don't lie. Because very next play, Stetson Bennett hits line McConkey for thirty-seven. For a touchdown, and I mean, yeah. So ball don't lie, man. But yeah, definitely some sense. calls. I think there was also one that ended that ended up, up being um, showing where Georgia had twelve men on the field at one point or something
1: like that. But I mean, at the still, like that's not the reason why. That's for sure. One penalty wasn't the reason you lost that game. That that is a hundred percent, you know. And then we got some penalties. At, um, in the third quarter or early fourth quarter where it kind of put us behind the sticks. I think we got like two penalties that gave us like a third and 20 at one point and stuff like that. And like, so that, I mean like penalties definitely hit us at different times too. We capitalized on our opportunities earlier in the game to where it didn't matter. And we made sure that we got those chunk plays. We scored early, came out ready to go, which was something I love to see from Georgia. You know, like uh, prior to the game, I talked about it on here. Don't turn the ball over and you win this game, you're good. You turn the ball over, things could get rough. First drive. First drive of the game, we fumble. And they're in mm. like just about in scoring position. And I'm going, I look at my buddy I'm sitting with him, and I'm like, man, if we can somehow hold them to a field goal here, it is the biggest win. And sure enough, they held them to a field goal right there and never looked back after that point. That's all it took. That, that one time, that was Tennessee's chance. They needed to score right there to really deflate Georgia's fan base, the players and everything and be like, all right, we're here to play. They only got a field goal, and I think that lit the crowd on fire. Then we got another fumble later in the game, but that was we traded fumbles. They fumbled first, then we fumbled right after, so it really didn't hurt you. And then we got that pick. So for the first time in you know a while this season, Georgia, even though they turned the ball over, they were even in the turnover margin, two for two. So it actually balanced itself out, and so that's why those two turnovers didn't hurt Georgia the same way because they still. Balanced out in the end of it. Plus, that one big fumble only led to three points for Tennessee. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. Jonathan. I mean, that they got a field goal off of that second fumble. That's what. That's when they got their second field goal was off the fumble, and then the oh, penalties mm-hmm. are what helped them mm-hmm. lead down to that other touchdown drive. That's what it was.
2: Yeah, you're right. Um, I can't remember what I was. Oh, yeah. I was like, I felt like you definitely had to win the turnover battle in that game because Tennessee was not turning the ball over offensively heading into that game with Georgia. The fact that Hendon Hooker even threw an interception he only had is, one before. Is kind of mind blowing enough because he was he, Yeah, exactly. So that like betting on those types of things was not a good game plan to beat Tennessee, but Keely Ringo made a heck of a play. One of the most beautiful interceptions I have ever seen made by a football Nothing's going to top is a pick six in the national championship, of course, but, man, that that's, that's, that's second. It has to be second. That was absolutely, just the ability to track the ball, basically run the route for the wide receiver, come down with it in the end zone, and fight for the football and come up with it. Like, man, that's ridiculous. That, 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 that play alone was also a big turning point in the football game as well because you felt like Tennessee was eventually going to hit on one of those explosive plays that they typically do, and that seemed like a good shot for them to do it and Keeley Ringo comes up with a big play, and that for the game, I felt like. Once you took that away from Tennessee, they felt like that they couldn't hit their explosives against you. Their whole plan was just put in the shreds. Put it in the paper shredder at that point because it's done. Like That's your whole – that is what you rely on offensively. That is your offensive I- offensive identity, and Georgia stripped that away from you and said, no, nope, that's not what we're doing here today. We're about a different type of business, and we're about to show you what it's about here in Athens. But, yeah, so now, but the thing is, too, we'll go ahead and – into Mississippi State now because we got, um, we're already in. It, man, we just went all about Tennessee, so we'll get into Mississippi State hey, real we quick. We did that same stuff. This is another, last week. We battle, to this is gonna be lot. another big test for, yeah, I know, right? That's just a huge game, and there was a lot of talking points from it, so you got to talk it up, of course. But we'll go ahead and hit on Mississippi State real quick. This is another, this is gonna be another big test for Georgia's secondary. Like I said, Will Rogers is averaging 50, close to 50 attempts per game. But they don't do it the same type of way. Mississippi State is not a team that's going to be chunking the ball 50 yards down the field or anything like that. Everything is quick, right, and easy. Five yards down the field, screens behind the line of scrimmage, all that. So it's going to be huge for Georgia to rally to the football. Georgia was phenomenal at tackling in the open field against Tennessee. I mean, just picture perfect. Couldn't have done it any better. Anytime that they were needed to make a tackle out in open space, someone came up with it. So just absolutely beautiful job. They're going to have to do that again against Mississippi State. They're gonna they're gonna free to death on Saturday. You got to stop it. You just got to kind of live with it too. You got to make your tackles, get them on the ground, and let's play another down. So another big game for Georgia and on the road. Got to go with all those stupid cow bells as well. But you win, you clinch the division, and it's Georgia's. It would be Georgia's fifth, fifth under Kirby Smart in seven seasons. Pretty monumental stuff right there.
1: That's insane. Yeah. So that's I, I, two things about it. Um, first of all, they. Will Rogers leads the SEC in passing right now with 2,912 yards. So he throws the crap out of the ball. He does. We know that. But like you said, he doesn't throw a bunch of bombs. The other thing that's noteworthy about him is he's similar style to the way that Georgia and and Stetson Bennett play, is he throws the ball to a lot of other people. Their leading receiver only has 540 yards compared to last week when we were playing against Hendon Hooker, and their leading receiver currently has 970 yards, almost a 1,000-yard season already. There's a huge difference. One guy was getting the ball a lot on some deep balls and stuff like that. This one, they're, they're throwing it in the same type of way that Georgia is where they're spreading the ball around. So you can't just say, hey, this is their big target. Watch out for him like we did with Hyatt last week. They are going to throw it around and make you actually cover multiple people consistently. And so that'll be an interesting challenge for Georgia overall. But once again, it's a team that likes to throw the ball so Georgia's defense is going to hopefully be able to just pin their ears back and get going after them like they did last week with Hendon Hooker because six sacks last week was massive. Absolutely blew away what Georgia had done all season long at that point. Six sacks in one game. And Javon Ballard was absolutely lighting that up. He, he had two in the stat column, but I'm pretty sure he was back there almost for a third. I think they didn't they didn't give him one, but it almost looked like a third that I remember him mm. just firing off the edge and absolutely lighting him up in the backfield. I was so impressed with that, and I, I look to see Georgia try something similar this week since they are known to throw the ball around a good bit like Tennessee is in a different way, but they still throw the ball a lot.
2: Yeah. J- Javon Ballard is, I think Brooks is the one that came said this, that he's Honey Badger Jr. And that's exactly what it is. You know, Honey Badger don't care, brother. He don't care. He's coming after you. He's got a nose for the football and anytime the ball's somewhere, he's going to be making a play on it. That's that's the type of action that he's about on the football field. He just wants to be a guy that impacts the football and makes big time plays. And that's exactly what he's done for Georgia. He's been huge for them defensively. He plays last Saturday. You're going to need him again this Saturday, but You know, I mentioned earlier that I like to do scouting reports, just kind of basic statistics, you know, to see where teams rank, kind of where they're looking um, in the nation. And so after looking at Mississippi State's, I went to Twitter and I was like, man, this Mississippi State team is the definition of they're good. Like they are they could be labeled as a good football team, but by no means are they great. You know, every single stack that I looked at, it was like you know, I try and pull the tweet, but basically every single stat category that I took a look at, it was just middle of the row. They don't really excel at anything, but they don't really like, they aren't number one at anything. They don't rank highly necessarily anything. So here it is. They're 48th in scoring defense, 40th in scoring offense, 30, 39th in passing defense, forty-sixth in total defense. There was one glaring issue that I found with this Mississippi State football team. And I think it's something that Georgia's is going to exploit against that they rank 76th 76th in rushing defense they're averaging almost they're giving up almost 150 yards per game so that's going to be something that's big for georgia uh i mean like i said earlier like georgia has shown their ability to not only run the ball willingly but they pick it up in chunks and they'll run it down your throat and they aren't afraid to They're physical kenny mcintosh my goodness this season i don't I don't know what came over him because he didn't even look like that, but something came over him halfway through the season, and he's been running like a madman. I mean, just get off me. You ain't bringing me down to the ground. Just that type of attitude. Dejon Edwards has still continued to have a great year. So those two for me, those two are two big players to watch for Georgia on Saturday.
1: Yeah, that's a huge thing to point out because Georgia's still averaging 194 yards rushing a game. And that's against teams that don't give up that many yards on the ground every game. So when you have a team that's known to give up more yards there, and you're going to be on the road in a hostile environment, you might see them try to ground and pound a little bit to kind of help yourself in those situations. So that the quarterback doesn't necessarily have to relay as many things. But they can also throw the ball around. I'm excited to see what Ladd McConkey can do again this week. He he had made a couple of really nice plays last week. Um yeah. so it'll be if you remember, if you remember Stoddard when Mississippi State came to Athens in 2020,
2: Jermaine Burton was a guy that had a big game for Georgia with yeah, JT like Daniels at quarterback. Like yeah, like 200 yards, two touchdowns. He had a big game against Mississippi State. Guess who's in
1: that spot? Now it's Lad
2: McConkie right mm-hmm. now. So up for Ladd McConkey.
1: Watch out for Lad McConkey for sure. The other guy that I think is gonna is coming out of his shell a little bit the past couple of weeks. I don't know if you saw it too. Was Arian Smith? You know he he made that mm. one. It was a fifty-two yard catch down the middle. It was so beautiful. But that's what we. That's why he's on the team to run that type of route, just straight up the seam and just go, boy, just go. As fast <laughs> he ain't as you can. gonna catch him, man. I mean, there's and it's that, literally a that, cheat. Code. That guy is so fast. And it's, a, it's amazing to see him get to play, um, and and hopefully he can stay healthy like he has right now and and keep it going because he's got a lot of potential in football. There's a reason he keeps playing because after he keeps getting hurt, sometimes you and I have talked about it, and I'm like, man, at what point does he go, I'm just going to stick to track because I keep getting hurt in football, and I've got a great career in track right now. I could do something. But no, he keeps coming back to football. He wants to. He wants to play football clearly. and he's good at it because the dude's got so much speed and athleticism. He can absolutely run by you. And that was such a beautiful pass by Stetson Bennett on that run or in that pass play too. It hit him right in stride. It was just a beautiful. So I think he's going to have a pretty good game, hopefully coming up as well um, this week. And and maybe we'll hit him a couple extra times and kind of stretch the field like that after we ground and pound a little bit on him.
2: Yeah. Um, I just you, – you know, you asked me for my thoughts about this weekend's game, kind of how I thought the game was going to go. I told you that I don't to be close. I don't see it being close. I, I think you saw what Georgia is capable of on defense, you know, even without Nolan Smith. You t- took out one of your best rushers. And it wasn't a problem. They didn't have any issues, and that wasn't a bad offensive line that Georgia went up against last week and against Tennessee. That was by no means a bad offensive line. Those guys have protected Hendon Hooker really well throughout this entire season up to that point. So Georgia proved themselves there. You know what they're capable of now. You know what they're safe. They got some dudes back there at fox They got some playmakers. That's a dangerous defense, and then now the offense is really clicking clicking at the perfect time season's winding down you're about to hit postseason football they're they're firing on all cylinders right now sets of Bennett's looking good very well make himself a Heisman campaign these last four games that he has going into Atlanta and then these last three regular season games that he has as well and even I'll drop you this little nug Stoddard, Brock Bowers' stats he occurred the pace that he is at right now, how like the the receiving yards that he is averaging per game right now. If Georgia makes it all the way to the national championship, so that's if if they make it to the national championship, he would be he is on pace to finish with 907 yards. He's a couple big games away from potentially being Georgia's first 1,000 yard receiver. So, if, they, if if you let Brock Bowers roam around free like he did in Georgia Tech last year, which they have left on the schedule, or he gets some big gains against Mississippi State or against Kentucky in the coming weeks, ladies and gentlemen, you might actually have your first 1,000-yard receiver in Georgia football history. Or not first in Georgia football history, but first since Terrence Edwards. Second
1: in Georgia football history. Second player in Georgia football history. Ladd, I think, has around 500 yards receiving right now, too. So, he's he's only about 50, 60 yards behind Um bowers as well so he could also have a couple big breakout games and and just all of a sudden surprise you a little bit as well so you never know there um but yeah i think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun one on the road and i I don't think it's necessarily gonna be a close game the spreads at 16 points i mean you can get tickets to this game as low as 31 dollars. i just peeked at it a second ago i mean this game is like they're not ready for it they don't want they don't want georgia to coming up there and absolutely just working them Mm -hmm. um but it's about to happen and we'll see how it goes but Yeah, I also, speaking of those numbers too, Stetson Bennett, he's on track to have a darn good season as well. What I think you and I were looking at this, doing the math, somewhere around regular season, he's on track for about 3,400 yards in the regular season. And if Georgia goes all the way to the national championship, he's on pace for about 4,200 yards, roughly. So if he plays fifteen me, games, you you let me in go a look second at the give.
2: doctor's antidotes real quick.
1: Stony. Yeah, go ahead and find it. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, about forty two hundred yards that he could be on pace for if Georgia goes all fifteen games this year, and regular season alone thirty four hundred. Which by the way, that would set him as the highest uh, passer in Georgia history, would it not? That would break the season single season record. Okay, of thirty nine or whatever it is. Go ahead. Here we go. All right. Here you
2: go. I got it for you. 824 yards away from passing Matthew time passing yards list. Would place him fifth all time. Number one overall pick. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, Stafford was the number one overall pick. He's 1,317 yards AJ away as well. That would put him fourth all time. Mm-hmm. And here's where even here's where it gets better. Stafford played in third over his career. Bennett is at thirty, or so. Stafford played at thirty-nine games. That's counting. So and then I, so Bennett's played in 30, 35 technically right now is what they say right now. But that's counting four games in twenty nineteen where he. pretty much. So really, you're looking at thirty games for, and so he will have about, he twenty-nine career games right now, and Stafford did. So he'll have more passing yards in his career within less games.
1: That's wild. That's some wild stuff right there. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree with uh, with Stan here. If he gets an invite to the Senior Bowl, he'll get drafted. I think he will get an invite to the Senior Bowl. Um and so I I I I do think I honestly at this point I I do think Stetson gets drafted. Where he gets drafted, if it's 7th round, it maybe, you know, somebody wants to wait that long, but it could you, he could surprise you, especially if if he ends up throwing for 4000 yards this season. That's insane. And and at that point that's Honestly, like legit, not even being biased. That's Heisman candidate type quarterback, 4,200 yards. If he stays on that pace, that's a Heisman contender right there, 100%. And that's not being biased. That's just a fact. I think Bryce Young threw for 4,500 yards uh, last year or something like that. So a few hundred yards more, but 4,200 is definitely in the conversation. Hendon Hooker was in the the Heisman conversation before last week. And prior to last week, Setson Bennett had about 11 yards passing more than he did and now he's even further ahead of him after last week so it's it's he's definitely capable of getting that type of honor um whether or not they give him the consideration and let him be a finalist i don't know we'll see how things go but uh, he deserves to get a little bit of recognition he does deserve to get drafted by somebody and get a chance to play in the nfl even if it's scout team even if it's as a backup um he, he deserves at least a chance to get out there and do something John, are you there? Can you hear us? He might have lost me. I don't know if you guys can hear me. Somebody in the comments, let us know what you got going for us. Um, um I can hear you.
2: Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and get into this now. I don't care about Stetson getting drafted, but with the connection and everything, I think we just need to go ahead and get into our final point of the night and just kind of call it a night because, man, technical difficulties are no fun Like put you guys through this misery we don't know how it is on y'all's end but it's pretty rough on ours so i'm just going to go ahead and get into this final talking point for myself stoddard you can add on to it, and then we'll close ourselves out for the night but so i wrote this article i put this tweet together article has actually gotten a lot of attention from it and rightfully so and to my own horn but i feel like this is some a, a pretty cool stat and i thought i wrote the article pretty well but i'll go ahead and just give it to you guys Sound bite. so i wanted to go back and look at how teams did after having a mass Exodus on the roster like georgia did this previous I to go see teams that had the most draft picks in a year season and see how they fared the very next for reference georgia had 15 players drafted this past year that's a lot of freaking players it's a lot of records so went back and look 2018 alabama Twelve players drafted went from fourteen and one to eleven and two. So there's one. Nineteen LSU. We all know it. They had a nice, it went undefeated. They had fourteen players drafted. Very next season, five and five didn't even make a bowl game. All eligible after that. 2014, so 11 Florida State. Two thousand fourteen, Florida State. 11, drafted. They went from thirteen second in their division that year. 2004, Ohio State, 14 players drafted. Went from a eight and four, eleven and two to eight and four after losing 14 players. Georgia, on the other hand, 15 players taken in the NFL draft. A bunch of them from that defense. Them from that defense. Went from 14 and one national champions to now nine, the number one ranking, on the verge of clinching another divisional title. Again, like I said, fifth would be the fifth one in Kirby Smart's. UGA and are looking in pretty good shape to be off to win another national title. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not only looking at greatness right now, you're looking at a college football anomaly, something that no other team that has been in Georgia's shoes before has been able to do what Georgia's doing right now. That is freaking special, guys. It's special. And you add in that you lost your defensive coordinator, you lost your offensive line coach, and you lost your defensive back coach this offseason. He says this is not possible. What Georgia's doing right now should not be possible, but from his team, they have found a way to do the impossible.
1: Absolutely. It's it's been fun to watch. And this is there's a reason that everyone coming into the season prior outside of Georgia fans, because we all knew what what we had on the roster and what we had ready to go and get going. Like, you know, that was waiting in the wings to play, right? But other fan bases and other media members and stuff may not have realized that, hey, Georgia's just they're reloading. They're not rebuilding after losing 15 guys to the NFL draft. They are going to reload and keep going. Everyone kept saying in the offseason that Georgia was going to be just like LSU. Just like LSU. They lost too many people. Just like LSU. Guess what? LSU also lost their offensive coordinator. They lost, They they completely restarted in a different way. And they also did not have, Edward Ed John did not have top three recruiting classes every year for like four years straight. Five years straight leading into that, right? The the depth was built for four or five years prior to that mass exodus of 15 players going. That's why they are different than those other players. Whereas Bama, Bama's the only other team out there that, you know, consistently has those recruiting classes and you usually see them reload afterwards. They they're known to have those guys get drafted and keep going like that consistently. Georgia's doing it as well. And I think it's really surprising everybody that those recruiting classes that we've talked about for So many years at this point, that's when you start to see how important those were because you can lose 15 guys in one draft and all of a sudden, hey, you're good. You're Gucci. No problem. You're still going to have top 10 offense, top 10 defense, and just be rolling like with no issues at all. Jonathan and I were looking at this out of curiosity the other day. I don't have the exact numbers, it was in our text, but out of the last, uh, in the playoff era, this is one of the most complete championship caliber teams out there. Georgia being ranked as high offensively and defensively, I think there was only two teams prior that had a better offensive-defensive rank in the same season when they went on to win a national championship. It was 2018 Clemson and 2021 Georgia, surprisingly enough, last year's Georgia team. Those two teams were the only ones that were better as far as an offensive-defensive rank uh, or off, yeah, offensive-defensive rank in the same season. So this team lost 15 players and is still elite and probably one of the most well balanced teams we've seen in college football in a very long time.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's special. It's it's unreal. Soak it in, Georgia As we said it last week, you're in the golden era of Georgia football, without a doubt, and the golden era of Georgia football. You'd be, Georgia's becoming not close, but they're they're in terms of being the first team to be the to be back to back national champions. In the culture era. And man, I don't want to go too early into 2023, but that roster is looking pretty solid in 2023 as well. So, now as Dr. Stan Williams has been a new sheriff in town, and his name is Kirby Smart, and the care of business in the state of Georgia. They got two more left on the season in Mississippi State. This week, can get your last home game of the two season. Again, some clean old fashioned hate or. Clean old fashioned hate call it and then like you're gonna play LSU and then college football play has come and is also going very quickly as wide well. at the end of the year. Georgia's in Crazy. good shape. You're still even at the end of the year, you're undefeated. No guys, if you have stuck with us at this point troopers, we really appreciate you guys for sticking in here with us. It takes a lot to cut not only it, it only it takes you guys to bear with us, but it – but when there's technical difficulties going on, there's poor connection, what it also takes some special tonight as well. So we appreciate your Twitter handles right there. You guys know the business. Go ahead if you haven't already. Like the video if you haven't already. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You guys have been killing it with that. We're up to 112 now, I believe. Just a few weeks we're at like 97. Asking you guys to get us to you guys have been 12. So again, Twitter handles. Like, subscribe, do all that good stuff for us.
1: As always, keep it classy in the Classic City. We will catch you guys next week.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J Will and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Two super words, which expresses of the entire Bulldog Nation.